It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The 1960s roll on for the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers get involved. That and Bill Russell endures some of the worst things you can imagine. We continue our deep dive now on this Wednesday Locked On Celtics. Millies, let's go! Jay's back with the vengeance back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. This the truth like 34. It's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily. Mainly podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, it's the best way. Melly. John Corrales here from MassLive.com, thanking you once again for downloading the Locked On Celtics podcast. Really appreciate you continuing to make this podcast part of your daily routine. Still trying to be here for you on a day-to-day basis, Monday through Friday, every weekday, free for you and going through Boston Celtics history. Last week was the 1950s. If you didn't uh, download and listen to those podcasts, please do. You get the birth of the Boston Celtics all the way up to the 1960s. This week... Mike Dynan of RedsArmy.com and I continue going through Boston Celtics history with the 1960s, the most dominant era in professional sports for any team, the most dominant decade. They win all but one championship in this decade, which it's a little easier back then, and we get into that a little bit, but it's still not easy. We talked yesterday about how you have to go through Wilt Chamberlain and a very, very good, historically good 76ers team, or I'm sorry, uh, Warriors team at that point. Sixers come in later. Uh, This, today, we're talking about going through Wilt, but also going through the Lakers. The Lakers uh, come into play. It does not go well for the Lakers. They do not do well against the Boston Celtics. Uh, But in the midst of it, this is a very important discussion as well, because we're talking about Sam Jones, Bill Russell, Casey Jones, the black Boston Celtics going through the South, through uh, a racist uh, element in the United States in the 1960s, the civil rights era, and Bill Russell taking a strong stand. It is a very important element to professional sports, to the Boston Celtics story. And we get into that, and I hope you enjoy this discussion. It does get serious, but This is part of the team's history, part of the country's history, and it's something that the Celtics endure and endure very well, uh, all things considered. So, Mike Dynan and I continue our conversation now about the 1960s Boston Celtics. So now the Los Angeles Lakers are the chief rival for the Boston Celtics. The Celtics still have to get through Philadelphia. They still have to get through Wilt, but then they have to get through... The Lakers. And now these are Lakers teams with Elgin Baylor, with Jerry West, um, just high powered uh, offenses, uh, just amazing. Two of the best, some of the best players you're ever going to see uh, on the court. Um, so let's, let's start here with the birth of the Celtics Lakers kind of rivalry. Um, Elgin Baylor damn near won the 62 uh, finals himself. He averaged 
uh, 40.6 points per game in those seven games, uh, 18 rebounds per game. Jerry West averaged 31 points per game in that, in that series. Uh, but they were countered by Bill Russell, who averaged 23 and 27 rebounds plus almost six assists. Sam Jones, now Sam Jones is emerging. Uh, he has 22 points, uh, per game in those seven, in that seven game series, six rebounds. Tommy Heinsohn is, uh, he scores 19 points and six rebounds, uh, per game in that series. Kuzi steps up with 16 and a half points, 9.3 assists. Um, but, uh, the Celtics, like you said before, uh, barely, barely survived, uh, it, it, having to win game six on the road and then come home to win a game seven. Yeah, they uh, had two series, and both of them won seven. Both of them were right down to the wire. Um, the the semi or the Eastern playoff was against the Warriors, as you said, and that was the one that I mentioned earlier. Was uh, Sam Jones hit a shot with two seconds left to win the game by two, game seven, and then in the finals, uh, when overtime. The Lakers had a chance to win it on a final shot in regulation. They had a guy named Frank Selvey, who was not a slug. He had a game in college where he scored 100 points, I think. Anyway, Frank Selvey was a pretty good shooter. He had a 15-footer from the baseline to win the game at the buzzer, and he missed. Mm -hmm. They went to overtime, and the Celtics managed to win by three points. And... uh, you know, Elgin Baylor and Jerry West scoring all those points, they were doing that against Sad Sanders and Casey Jones. They were great defensive players. Still couldn't stop those two. They, those guys were incredible scorers. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that tells you something because we were talking about two of the best defensive players in Celtics history, Casey Jones, uh, certainly. Um, and this is a team, this Lakers team that, really couldn't quite make it over the hump. Okay, so we talk about Celtics-Lakers rivalry. The Celtics and Lakers in the 1960s play uh, three, four, five, six times. Six times in the 1960s. 62, Celtics win in seven. 63, Celtics win in six. 65, Celtics win in five. 66, Celtics win in seven. 68, Celtics win in six. 69, Celtics win in seven. Um, so it's much less rivalry at this point, uh, and much more just Celtics dashing the hopes and dreams of the Lakers. <laughs> it was a good time to be a Celtics fan. No question <laughs> about it. Um, uh, and Jerry West suffered from that. I think if you uh, read anything about him as a person, uh, he he really struggled with losing all of those times. Uh, it really got to him. So this this rivalry, and, and sure, I mean, you can't get through, you can't beat this team uh, no matter what you do. Um, eventually, they get, Wilt Chamberlain, they still can't break through. Uh, but let's let's stick in this era because another thing that happens in this in this part of the sixties, uh, like I said, you got Sam Jones now kind of coming coming into his own. 
Celtics beat the Lakers in 1962. In 1960, this 1962-63 season, um, that's. Bob Cousy's final year, right? Yes. And so in that is the, I think the real birth to me of Celtics pride because he retires, Red Arback retires Bob Cousy's number right away. Like I was October of 1963. Um, they they retire Bob Cousy's number. These guys throughout the sixties, as soon as they retire, he's Red is retiring their numbers. He's honoring these guys. Tommy Heinsohn uh, wraps up his playing career. His numbers retired in nineteen sixty six. Who else had a number retired? Sharman had a, his number retired in nineteen sixty six. Macaulay had his number retired in nineteen sixty three. Uh, Sam Jones, he, he ends his career in the 60s. He has his number retired in, in 1969. Casey Jones has his number retired in 1967. All of these guys, Red Arback is doing all of this, retiring these numbers as a thank you to these guys who played pivotal roles. There's no... Um, consideration for like well he only scored this many points and oh he only played this many years an important thing that that red arback is doing in the 60s here is showing players that if you play for us if you play your hearts out for the boston celtics you're we're gonna remember you you're not doing this for nothing we're we're going to honor you and you're going to go down in history and we're going to make sure that generations know who you are. Yeah, that's uh, true in the sense that uh, Red would use that as a, a reward, a motivator possibly. Um, you had role players getting their numbers retired and it's probably why we have so many uh, or it's a big part of why we have so many. Seth Sanders, number 16, Don Nelson, number 19, Lasky, Jim Muscatoff. Um, you know, the list goes on. And there was, uh, it was a real reinforcement of the team spirit, the team, the sense of team that carried the Celtics. They have famously never had a, a player lead the NBA in scoring because, uh, they, that wasn't their way. That has never been that way. Despite, doesn't matter what era it is, who the coach is. I mean, maybe if they had ever gotten Michael Jordan, that would have been changed. But uh, in in the big picture, uh, the team has always come first in Celtics basketball, and the retired numbers speaks to that in the sense that everybody who took part was a valuable member. You know, part of the reason we're even doing this historical podcast is because sports have come to this screeching halt. There's nothing, no basketball, no baseball, no, no nothing. But our friends at my bookie are not going to let it get you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, which is my favorite roulette slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home, the fun does not have to come to an end 
with my bookie. Video poker not your thing, but you still need a fix? They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. They have real professional dealers at their tables, live, on-site, 24-7. Your favorite squad sidelined because of this pandemic? Don't even sweat it. My bookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2K20. Plus, you can always do your part to make your bankroll great again by taking advantage of shifting odds in political bets. See what they did there? You can trust the industry leaders in times like this. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's, let's kind of now um, go back to... Sam Jones, because now Sam Jones is is taking over for for Bob Cousy, um, and this is an important important part of the development of the Boston Celtics, uh, because when he steps in, like Cousy's gone, and now they, they kind of have to change a little bit. They don't have that assist guy, um, and Red Arback takes. Uh, Sam Jones aside. And he says, this is a quote from Sam Jones. I remember my third year with the Celtics. And this is like 1960. Uh, and Co- Coach Arbrack bringing me in and saying that I had the green light to shoot the basketball. Uh, I'd heard about the green light to shoot and it was only granted if Arbrack had the trust in a player's scoring ability. You could shoot it anytime you wanted to. And I said, Coach, what did you say? And he said, you've got the green light. And it gives you a lot of responsibility. So I kind of felt special then. Uh, and that, that year is when he starts, it was the following year, 60-61. Actually, yeah, that's, that's the year. 60-61 is when he, start, he starts averaging 15 points a game. The next he averages uh, 18.4. And then 62-63, uh, 
in Kuzi's last season, he's up to 19.7, and he kind of hangs up around there until he retires in 1969. Um, his evolution as a primary guy, the primary guy for the Boston Celtics now, adds a different dimension for for the Celtics, kind of changes a little bit. They, they still play up-tempo. They're always going to play up-tempo. But they, they didn't have a scorer like him, uh, even with Tommy. Tommy was famously a, a low-percentage shooter uh, for an era, like you said, in the 60s, where the shooting percentages were, were typically low. He shot a career 45.5% from the field, which is just really good for back then. Yeah, um, Sam, he had uh, the bank shot. That was his trademark. Uh, he could score off the dribble. He could create his own shot. Um, and he was a clutch player, as we've said. Uh, he, he was, um, he was, if the Celtics had one guy who could have been capable of possibly leading the league in scoring, it probably would have been him. Yeah. Um, so he, he now in 1960, uh, we're going into 1963, uh, or 1963, 64. Um, the Celtics have to play the then San Francisco Warriors, um, who they beat. This is what eight, eight finals in a row that the Celtics win. Right? Is it eight in a row? I always lose track. <laughs> uh, I'd have to count on my fingers. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, it was eight, eight in a row and like 10 of 11. It's so ridiculous. Um, yes, eight in a row. In the course of this, we have not only the Celtics um, winning these championships, we also have to understand like th- this is like a a barnstorming. They, they have like preseason barnstorming tours. Like they're still trying to raise the profile of the NBA. The Celtics are out there dominating, but they're, they're still like going and, and doing these things like um, preseason kind of playing these, these games against whatever you, you're going around the league. You're, 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 you're still trying to, show the show America like, Hey, professional basketball, the league still has only been in existence for like 14 years at this point. Um, and in the course of all of this, this is the sixties. They're going through like the South. They're going through, uh, they're going through a lot of places where Sam Jones, Bill Russell, uh, they're not exactly welcome. Mike. That's right. Um, the year of Jim Crow, and uh, in some cases, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, teams would play exhibition games the preseason in uh, like a college town where somebody, a player, had been uh, a star. Uh, so I think Hot Rod Hundley, I'm trying to remember now uh, an example of that. I think Hot Rod Hundley, who was on the Lakers, uh, is one of those examples yeah, he went to West Virginia, University of West Virginia. And uh, if I remember correctly, they had a game at 
University of West Virginia. Hundley played for the um, Lakers, and the Celtics were playing them in the preseason. And, of course, the Celtics black players could not stay at the same hotel. And um, I'm not sure if it was this time or a different time, but there were there was at least one or two times where the Celtics players said, no, we're not going to stay then if we can't. We're not going to play in the game if we can't um, right. be treated as normal people, as, as regular human beings. And so that obviously hurt, but that's how things were back then. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm not I'm not giving that a pass. I'm no, no, just saying that uh, it was it was not right, but the people who were making those decisions didn't see anything wrong with it. Then that's right. They they thought that this was just how it was, um, and so black players were refused uh, service throughout. Um, there's a, that famous incident in Lexington, Kentucky. So <coughs> Russell. Casey Jones, Sam Jones, they left. The black players left. Um, the white players stayed and played. Um, and this amazingly didn't cause the type of issues that um, you, I would expect. And this is like, I, I wasn't around back then. But this is a tense time. 1960s, early 60s, 1963. Someone breaks into Bill Russell's home, uh, vandalizes it, uh, racist graffiti. They, you know, they defecate in his bed. Uh, it's when when Bill Russell left, like he he had some. He was done with Boston for quite a while. Um, Boston, the reputation, the racist reputation that Boston has, that we when it comes up, we hear it, we fight against it, like it's not the way it used to be now. Um, back then it was bad back then. That's where the reputation came from. Russell called flat out quote, Boston itself was a flea market of racism it had all the varieties old and new. And in their most virulent form, the city had corrupt city hall crony racists, brick throwing, send them back to Africa racists. And in the university areas, phony radical chic racists. <laughs> Other than that, I liked the city. That's <laughs> That's what Bill Russell wrote in his uh, memoir, Second Wind. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Here we go! John Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. Yeah, he he, um, he did have some bad experiences, no question about that. He was justified in thinking the way he was. Um, but I would hope, I wish that 
we could um, say things have changed. Um, they have changed. Mm-hmm. And it's not the way it was, as you said. I mean, Massachusetts, for example, is one of the most blue states we have sure. in terms of politics, red or blue state. And uh, Russell has uh, changed his view about Boston, yes, I think. Is. Yeah, uh, he's certainly more uh, o- open to being there. And uh, there was, though, he's so strong willed about this when his number was retired around 1972. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, I was going to that game that day. That was when I was in college. Uh-huh. So I went to a lot of games during that period, the late 60s, early 70s. And. I was going to the game, and when I got inside, just along with everybody else, we looked up, and there's the number hanging already. <laughs> what happened? Found out later that he didn't want to have uh, a public ceremony. He didn't want to do that in front of the fans. I right. think he was still, you know, he had his his way of thinking. He uh, wasn't a fan of the city, mm-hmm. and... So he had a private ceremony. They raised the number of just him and the couple of players who were still there who had been his teammates. And that was it. It was a long time before he acknowledged that the number was retired. Uh, I think he came back later sometime before in the 80s yep. and did another ceremony. He also didn't attend his own Hall of Fame induction because he felt that the Hall of Fame was racist and didn't have enough uh, recognition of black players. Mm-hmm. So, he's a complex person. He is. Always uh, has been. And, and and has his reasons. Sure. Uh, and very good reasons. Like the what Boston used to be and what it is now, very different. But it's important to know what Boston was. Um, and, you know, obviously race racism still exists everywhere in the United States. Um, and it's something that we continue to fight. But back then in the sixties, this is, this is an important thing that is, is part of Boston Celtics history. It's part of Bill Russell. It's part of what these guys have had to face. And for Russell, especially, um, like he was front and center in, you stood next to Muhammad Ali uh, with with Jim Brown, with Kareem, with other guys uh, who were front and center as as athletes who were fighting against uh, racism at a time where we're talking about the civil rights era. We're talking about you know MLK and and Malcolm X and and their assassinations and all of these things. Russell is. At the same time, he's being a dominant NBA player. Russell is is making himself one of the faces of this movement, which which basically puts a target on his back. Yeah, uh, he was definitely prominent. Uh, he has said that he was at the "I Have a Dream" speech. Uh, he was there. I mean, mm-hmm. he he said that, but he, there is a record that he was there. Uh, he was. He believed in speaking out, obviously, and taking a stand on things, and that's how he was. You weren't going to change that. 
Yeah. Nobody was. Um, and it felt like he used that as the part of the motivation, the, um, the attitudes of the racist elements of the time, uh, where he would be discriminated against and he would turn that into, uh, added motivation where he not only, uh, took a stand, but he would show like, Hey, black players can be this good. Um, at that point there were these, these notions like people maybe uh, a little bit younger might remember the time where people had a debate over black quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, the, the racist notion that, uh, a, a black athlete was simply there to run fast and jump high. Um, and Russell, while he could run fast and jump high, was also going to do things psychologically to break people down and use his intelligence to uh, become uh, especially dominant. Um, I think he saw all of these things and took the opportunity everywhere he could to show, like, hey, uh, we're, we're people, we're we can be great, not just because of the color of our skin. Um, to do that, I think in this era, and, and the reason why I continue to talk about it is it, that's something that could break somebody. That's something that could break um, a person who, who might not be mentally equipped to deal with that level of pressure. Not everybody could handle that kind of pressure. And it's a significant amount of social pressure on a player at that time. And Bill Russell to take these stands, to be outspoken. Uh, and also it speaks to the level of trust within the uh, organization that he continued after his his playing days to speak about Red Arback as a friend. Uh, to show that, you know, all of the outside stuff was the outside stuff. Within the Boston Celtics, even though there might have been some tensions, and, and Bob Cousy did admit to some of that, within the Boston Celtics, they mostly navigated these waters, and you know the relationship between Bill and Red was part of why they were able to navigate through these waters. Yeah, um, we talked about that a bit last week, too, and uh, <clears throat> Red told, I mean, excuse me, uh, Russell told that <clears throat> whole story in the book that he wrote, Red and Me, uh, the story of their lifelong friendship and how it came about and the respect that they had for each other. Um, you had to go some to get Bill Russell's respect. So yeah. yeah. That says a lot about it. But, you know, the, the Celtics do have a good record as far as race relations are concerned. You know, as we've talked about, they drafted Chuck Cooper, uh, the first black player to be drafted. They had the first all-black starting five. Mm-hmm which was Bill Russell, Tom Sanders, Sam and Casey Jones, and Willie Knowles, who they had gotten from the Knicks um, in the mid-60s. And back then there was uh, like a quota system in the NBA. Uh, it was an unwritten rule where teams just didn't use five black players at the same time. They had to have a white player or two on the floor, always. And for whatever misguided reason – 
but it was partly to sell tickets because, as you said, racism exists and it's everywhere. And it has been for as far as, you know, as long as we've had American history, it has existed. Mm-hmm. So back to the basketball court. I, th- I think that that whole era, it's important to note um, that Bill Russell continues his march towards um, the greatest, maybe the greatest of all time, uh, one of the greatest of all time, uh, despite despite having to go through some of these horrible things. Um, and it does, it does kind of explain some of the things that he, he has said and written and why the statue took so long and, and why he wanted the statue to be what it was. Again, that's a very serious time in American history. And, and Bill Russell really did endure some really horrible things. That's just how it was. That's, uh, there's no shying away from it. And uh, it's, it's sad, unfortunate, but it really was an important element to discuss because professional sports in the 1960s, that's part of what it was. That was part of the national landscape. Now, moving forward, Bill Russell continues through, stays in Boston. Uh, the Boston Celtics are built to withstand this kind of thing. The respect that they have, they have developed amongst one another uh, carries them through this very difficult time, and they continue winning. They continue building this uh, this this feeling of uh, Celtics pride. And so we continue our conversation tomorrow on the Thursday Locked On Celtics. Uh, stick around for that. Uh, subscribe if you haven't been subscribing. I hope you're enjoying these historical deep dives. We'll continue Rest of the week is the 60s, next week is the 70s, last week was the 50s. If you missed it, please go back and, and go through those. Download them, save them for later if you haven't. Uh, it's just a good jaunt through the entire history of a very historic franchise. So, again, subscribe, a five-star rating would be great. Good written review would be great. Do that and share the podcast. Tell your friends to listen to the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.